The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Federal Spending Sprees. The U.S. government has poured trillions of dollars into the economy as the coronavirus pandemic wears on. Jason Furman, chair of President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, says more money is needed. There's effectively two recessions. The shutdown recession looks like it's going to stop improving. The normal recession underneath it looks like it's getting a little bit worse. You know, that's certainly an ugly combination for the next several months. Operation Warp Speed, the government's other spending spree for a COVID vaccine. The CEO of Novavax on his company's prospects after a hefty gift from Washington. What the coronavirus does is it moves up the timetable for us to have revenue, and uh, quite a bit, actually. Those stories, plus TikToks dancing right out of Hong Kong. Patrick Mahomes has landed a $500 million NFL deal. And Andrew's getting in the game? I'm trying to make some quick money here. I'm trying to make some fast money here. It's Tuesday, July 7th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Melissa Lee is in the house well, virtually well, with us well. this morning. Becky's well, off. In the house. It's nice to see you, Melissa. <laughs> this is a first. This is actually a first for Joe and I and Becky. I think we've yeah. all actually been together Every day thus far through this whole craziness. Yeah. And um, we're going to uh-huh. start trying to trying to take some uh, some well-deserved vacation times over, over the summer. So Becky's got the day off. But uh, welcome. It's uh, been it's a nice while, to see you. Mel. It's really um, nice to see you. Anything it has new? been any, at least. Yeah. Anything new? At least eight months. Anything new going on with you? Anything new going on with you? Anything at all? Old. How's life? Is it a little busier than before? Are there any changes whatsoever we need to know about? Did you say boozier? Less, less boozy, less sleep. But I mean, you know, busier, no, busier, busier. Oh my God! I don't know how you're. All our lives have been have been boozier through. I think through this through this whole thing. No, but. I, I just am so happy for you. I mean, it must be great. And, and you know, I told you that all along. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's the greatest thing, isn't it? I don't know if people know what we're talking right about. As, but as usual, Joe. How, yeah. How old are the babies now? They're seven months old. Oh, that's still hard. A boy and a girl. That, that's, so. still, that's still yeah. hard. <laughs> wow. That's, that's still tough, uh, is it not? You're in it. You're in it. In it deep. First up on today's podcast, hundreds of billions of dollars were paid out as part of the government's Paycheck Protection Program. PPP was designed to help small business owners weather the economic fallout of the coronavirus. The Trump administration disclosed yesterday some of the companies that received money, everyone from Kanye West's Yeezy brand, which got between 2 and $5 million, to P.F. Chang's and the Ohio Democratic Party. In total, we got more than 650,000 recipient names of loans above $150,000. So this is just about 14% of the recipients in this absolutely massive program. A reminder that businesses are forgiven these loans if at least 60% is used on payroll, retaining rather than laying off workers. 
Andrew, I was, uh, and Melissa, I was, I looked up Godfather 2 this morning for that great quote from, from Cor- Michael Corleone to, to the senator, where he says, Senator, we're all part of the same hypocrisy, because I was thinking about Grover Norquist getting PPP money and Ayn Rand, but then Media Matters got PPP money, and then I'm, you know, I'm thinking about Nobu, do they, you know, it's all, you know, really rich people go, or but, Kanye. or Kanye, but, but don't, 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 doesn't Nobu have employees that we want to keep on the payroll? And so I'm just, well, look, I mean, Joe, everywhere I'm I look, with you. It, it's ironic everywhere you look, but we're all part of the same hypocrisy. Joe, I think we know that. Joe, but here's the, here's the question. Look, I'm of the view a job is a job is a job. Yeah. And I think people initially wanted to treat the program that way, but then you had Secretary Mnuchin come out and frankly, as you know, he shamed a lot of the larger companies right. taking that money and effectively told them to return it. Right. And so then all of a sudden there's became but a the, moral argument about who was going to take the money and who wasn't. And then you're back I to, wanted to do loans for everybody, two, but then I wanted to have an application process no, to forgive no, but them why, later. Why should you do loans for everybody if certain companies can access the public? But if certain companies can access the public markets or access capital markets in general, why should the U.S. government loan them money? And right. I think that's the question. You take a look. I don't want to pick on Kanye because I don't want to be on the wrong side of Kanye. But you take a look at Yeezy. Bank of America value just the sneaker portion of that. That business at three billion dollars last week he announced a partnership with the gap do you think that yeezy couldn't access or tap capital markets in some way yep sounds like they could but ayn rand that that would be well, my I, argument I, I, ayn rand i mean you know i mean how do you walk the walk you know but then i, I saw media matters they've done nothing but just excoriate the, the, the response of the Trump administration to the whole COVID thing, but they're, yeah, they're there. Give me, give me, David Brock, give me, give me. So it's, I just decided, I was going to say, you know, Senator, we're all part of the same hypocrisy. And that was such a good line because Senator Pat Geary was the worst human being, and he's, you know, you got the head of the mafia there. Anyway, um, there's a movie uh, uh, scenario for everything, I've, I've decided, um, and, and I will bring it to you. Congress could be considering a second round of stimulus checks sent to Americans struggling financially during the coronavirus pandemic. This would be the fifth legislative approach to shoring up the U.S. economy since March of this year. Today on Squawk Box, we heard from Michael Strain of the American Enterprise Institute and Jason Furman, former chair of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama, about whether more stimulus is needed. Jason, what kind of more? What kind of more do we need? You've been saying more for a while. And, and do, you th- do you see a, a second derivative problem with the recovery right now that it's waning because we, we, need, we have more to do and haven't done it? Wow, I'm so excited. Uh, there's definitely a second derivative problem, um, which is that the recovery is slowing. Some measures are actually going in reverse, a first derivative problem. And regardless, any of the progress we've made has been in part due to the extraordinary amount of support the economy got in the months of May and June. You take that support away, even if we didn't have the rising caseloads, the economy um, would falter. So what do we need to do? Um, State and local assistance. We didn't do enough of that the first time. We need to do a lot more this time. Um, unemployment insurance, I think it would be fine to taper the $600 down a bit, but we definitely need something um, robust for the many, many tens of millions of people who are without a job through no fault of their own. I don't think you, you know, we have you on to disagree, Strain, but you never do. Uh, do you, you agree with most of what uh, uh, Jason is saying there? 
Well, Jason just said we should taper the $600 unemployment insurance benefits supplement. Which of course I I agree with, um, and uh, uh, you know I think I think you should be asking Jason why he doesn't disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think we need to to give some money to state and local governments. You know Republicans are concerned about shoring up pension funds, and uh, I think that would be a very inappropriate use of taxpayer money uh, to 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 take federal dollars and and give those to to state pension funds that have been mismanaged. Uh, but there should be ways to uh, give some money to the states uh, that uh, with some strings attached so that it doesn't get used for for pension funds, but it does get used for uh, for helping states that are dealing with significant revenue shortfalls, uh, but that can't run budget deficits, you know that ties into what I think is uh, shaping up to be the biggest threat to the fragile recovery in the fall, which is schools not reopening. If schools don't reopen, people aren't going to go back to work. You're just now starting to see some major school districts say that they're going to stick with virtual learning in, 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 in the fall. That's that's not really something I expected. I expected everybody would be would be trying, uh, at least trying to get back to a five-day in-person school week. One thing the federal government can do is, is just provide leadership to these school districts. Uh, but also, school districts are going to need some money to – you know, put up plastic shields and buy masks and and buy you know the hand sanitizer and you know convert the gym into a bunch of smaller classrooms and and, and do whatever. Uh, that's an opportunity for for uh, Congress to help continue to support the recovery. Andrew, and Michael, but to that point, you know, why has there not been uh, a move uh, to provide and devote federal funds to create the, the equivalent of of uh, mandatory testing at K through twelve schools? and provide significant uh, PPE. If we were to do that, it might cost a lot, but it, the, it would be worth it on the other end. You could even argue simply because you could, you could therefore hopefully bring the economy back. You'd be testing communities full on all the time because you can be testing not just the kids, but also teachers. You'd protect the teachers. So you'd create that sense of confidence. But we have not had a conversation about using government funds in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we did the move testing out of doctors' offices and into the community, and I think schools are a great place uh, to to do that kind of testing. Also, larger workplaces, uh, uh, things of this nature. You know, we 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 have a testing problem. That's that's obviously no secret. Um, uh, but if the tests are available. Uh, then I think uh, uh, getting those into the schools and testing students as often as possible, you know, every day ideally, uh, would be would be uh, uh, an investment that would pay a huge return in terms of allowing the schools to stay open, which which would have the downstream benefit of allowing uh, parents to go back to work. So if the testing uh, capability is at the point where we can do that. Uh, then I think that would be a, a great use of money. And again, these you know these state and local governments and these school districts, uh, they're not sitting on piles of cash they can spend on this sort of thing. So you've seen the federal government replace the income that households uh, have lost. You've seen the federal government replace the income that small businesses have lost. You've seen the government help finance uh, uh, income loss for larger businesses. It's really, I think, appropriate for the federal government to help state and local governments with the tax revenue they've lost, uh, you know, particularly in intelligent ways, like making sure kids can go back to school in the fall. Hey, uh, Jason, given the 
What you were impressed with the second derivative? I, I didn't understand what you meant. You made some smart ask, but you always do about uh, about what's You're the one who brought up the derivatives. Uh, I did. So uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, there's acceleration. There's velocity. It is changing in the acceleration. The second derivative. So where does that put the unemployment rate as we get closer to the election? Does that stop going down and stay stubbornly high, which could affect um, you know how voters feel when they go in? or when they mail in their, their ballot on, in November? Yeah, I think it's very likely um, we're going to continue to have a very high unemployment rate on Election Day. Um, there's effectively two recessions. There's the shutdown recession, where originally eight mil- 18 million people were furloughed. Eight million of them have gone back. That's gotten better quickly, um, but it may stop improving. Then there's the sort of normal recession, the people who are fired from their jobs, the people who aren't going to be going back to their employer. Um, and that is a moderate sized recession that's been getting a little bit worse um, each month. So the shutdown recession looks like it's going to stop improving. The normal recession underneath it looks like it's getting a little bit worse. And you know that's certainly an ugly combination um, for the next several months. Michael? Well, I, I, I was just going to say, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I agree with that. But I think, you know, an interesting question is going to be, for the election, what matters more? Changes in the economy or the level of the economy? Uh, the, the, uh, the, the level or the first derivative? Um, and, you know, we are going to be in very bad shape in the fall, as Jason says. We're going to have a, a recession-level unemployment rate. We're going to have an economy that relative to 12 months earlier is much smaller and in very bad shape. At the same time, I think even given uh, some of the challenges that we that we saw in late June uh, and and that we're seeing right now in early July, we're still going to look back at the third quarter. Uh, We're still going to look back at this summer and we're going to see historic rates of economic growth. We're going to see the unemployment rate coming down rapidly. Um, and the president's going to be able to say, you know, uh, uh, you know, people said we couldn't have three percent growth. People said we couldn't have four percent growth. Well, we had 20 percent growth over the summer. Uh, and he's going to be right. Uh, the president's going to be able to say the unemployment rate dropped, you know, six percentage points, uh, eight percentage points uh, from its peak by Election Day. And he's going to be right about that, too. And people are going to feel that. Thank you, Jason. Michael Strain. Thank you. Next on SwagPod, Novavax just got a $1.6 billion gift from the U.S. government to develop a COVID vaccine. CEO Stanley Irk joins us. The scale-up uh, is starting already, and we'll, we'll plan on uh, start shipping uh, the 100 million doses in the fourth quarter and be finished sometime during the first quarter of the year. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today's anchors are Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Melissa Lee. Here's Andrew. We do have some breaking news we want to get to right now on Novavax, and our uh, good friend Meg Terrell uh, has woken up early to bring us that news. Meg. 
Well, good morning, Andrew. The U.S. government has awarded Novavax $1.6 billion to support the late-stage development and scale-up and manufacturing of their COVID-19 vaccine. This is the largest award that Operation Warp Speed has made so far. They gave $1.2 billion to AstraZeneca to support uh, its development. Uh, so this will take Novavax's uh, vaccine uh, through phase three trials, which they say should include 30,000 people beginning in fall of 2020, if all goes well with uh, earlier studies. This will also help them establish large-scale manufacturing, including, they say, the production of 100 million doses starting in late 2020. Uh, now, this company's phase one, two trials began in May in Australia. They say they expect to have the results by the end of July, and they'll begin phase two after that. Here you can see the awards that uh, BARDA has made through Operation Warp Speed. Uh, AstraZeneca back in May is the largest so far. This is a huge award for Novavax, which is a smaller company and has not yet brought a vaccine to market, guys. Uh, so a pretty big move here uh, for this company. Hey, Meg, before we do that, in terms of at, what they saw, what we all call at scale, um, I, we can talk to him about that. But what is your sense at scale if this would all work properly? For how much manufacturing they could do? How much manufacturing and then what the timeline looks like to get that to really at scale, as they say. Yeah, well, what they've detailed that they aim to do with this award is at least get 100 million doses by the end of this year. Uh, beyond that, they would be increasing, but we don't know exactly what they would be able to do. Um, but they are not the only ones getting this support. So the U.S. government is kind of cobbling together different awards to try to hit that 300 million dose goal by the end of this year or early next. But that requires all of these vaccines to work, and history suggests that won't be the case. Okay, it's interesting, uh, Meg. So we'll have the CEO on. So they, I'm just quickly looking to see what, what we're talking about here. It, it, this would, it's a little bit different. It's a, based on spike protein, an antigen to the thing that everybody's using that seems conserved with this with SARS and, and with this one. But they, it's a na nanoparticle technology where they use a stretch of, of the, I guess, the nucleic acids to generate a part of the spike protein and then they hook it up to something else and use that. It's a little different approach than, than the other. It's good that we have all these different approaches. It is good. I mean, in its simplest explanation, it uses a protein right. uh, that delivers the spike protein, uh, which is a familiar technology in terms of vaccines. So Scott Gottlieb has talked about the U.S. government needing to support some technologies that have been proven uh, in addition to all of these new mRNA, right. DNA-based technologies right. that haven't yet reached the and market. And it's, it's linked to something else that it looks like for, for cell-based immunity as well, for, for an adjuvant is linked to it to, to like mm -hmm. ramp up the, the immune response. Uh, you know, I was going to ask Meg if Novavax ever had a commercial product to market. There's so much optimism about this stock, and there are a lot of smaller players that are, that are working on vaccines, but some of them have never had the experience of actually bringing a product to market. Yeah, Novavax is unproven. Uh, they have been trying for decades to bring vaccines to market and so far have not succeeded. So this is a huge move for this company. And they, of course, are not the only ones who haven't brought a vaccine to market. Moderna, the front runner, right. also has not yet brought a vaccine to market. They're a bit different. Moderna's a younger company, uh, whereas Novavax has been trying for a long time and they have seen some failures, um, but they, you know, they've been around for a while. Well, $4 billion market cap versus Moderna's $23 billion. So that, uh, that sets up an interesting arbitrage maybe. Um, if, if you, yeah, that's something they might talk about on Fast Money.
or something, which is a show that, that, that's on at 5, 5 p.m., phenomenal show uh, on every day at, at 5 p.m. Ah, <laughs> oh, Joe, I missed you. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sucking up a little bit to you. Uh, I, I know how to work it, Melissa. Anyway. I, I, I don't know what you want from me if you want a, a kidney or blood or something, but okay, it's fine. Just we'll your find love. out. Thanks, just your, just your love. Breaking news this morning from Novavax, which we talked about earlier. Also now Regeneron. Hello again, Meg. Hello again, Joe. Well, the U.S. government on a bit of a spending spree this morning in support of vaccines and drugs against COVID-19, now just announcing $450 million in a contract for Regeneron to support the manufacturing and supply of its COVID-19 antibody drug. This is from both BARDA through Operation Warp Speed, that project focused on COVID-19 and through the Department of Defense. They say the initial doses could be ready by the end of the summer. Uh, This will support uh, the manufacturing of treatment or prevention doses between 70,000 and 300,000 for treatment or 420,000 and 1.3 million doses for prevention. There's different doses for each one. Uh, And Regeneron says that the U.S. government is committing to making these initial lots available for free uh, to people if this drug is successful and gets approved, uh, at least for these initial lots. Now, also this morning, we got the news that Operation Warp Speed is awarding $1.6 billion to Novavax for its COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, joining us now to discuss this is Stanley Irk, the CEO of Novavax. Stanley, thanks for being with us this morning. This is the largest award that Operation Warp Speed has made yet for a vaccine uh, with the goal of potentially having 100 million doses available by the end of this year. How confident are you in being able to meet that goal? Well, we're, everybody's working toward that goal. We've, we've uh, started in early January when the gene sequence was first identified for, for uh, coronavirus. And we've been using a, a uh, manufacturing platform that we've been used on, on a lot of our vaccines uh, uh, over the past years uh, to scale up, and, and we think we have the capability of doing that. What the grant does is it allows us to do two things in parallel. One is to conduct phase two and phase three clinical trials, which are very expensive uh, uh, efforts uh, to show that the vaccine is, number one, safe, that it's effective, and that the vaccine is stable, and then in parallel, and these things are usually done in sequence, in parallel, we'll be able to uh, uh, manufacture large quantities at multiple locations in, in five or six countries. So the goal of 100 million doses by the end of the year, is this a two-dose vaccine most likely, so that could cover potentially 50 million people? That's right. We don't know for sure yet, but that's what the purpose of clinical trials is, is to show uh, whether it's one or two doses. And uh, the scale-up uh, is starting already, and we'll, we'll plan on uh, start shipping uh, the 100 million doses in the fourth quarter and be finished sometime during the first quarter of the year. And tell us about anything you can about the data you've seen so far. Uh, how much confidence does it give you that you'll be successful here in, in getting this vaccine across the finish line? Well, there are two possible answers to that. One is uh, data that we have now with this particular coronavirus vaccine uh, is in animals, and it shows that in, you, you always start in mice and you show that it's safe and you show that it sets off a, a potent immune response, and then you move on to the higher level animals. You go into non-human primates, uh, monkeys and baboons, 
and show that again that it sets, that that it uh, stimulates what they're called neutralizing antibodies and T cell responses, and and so, and that all that usually translates uh, from mice to to uh, baboons and baboons to people. In the past, we've done this with uh, Ebola, Ebola vaccine, with pandemic influenza vaccines, with an influenza vaccine where we just finished a phase three clinical trial, uh, where where this sequence of of events uh, plays out uh, repeatedly. So we're we're pretty confident that this will this will uh, uh, stimulate a potent neutralizing immune response in humans. Well, tell us a little bit about the technology behind this vaccine. Uh, it, it does appear similar to one from Sanofi, a flu vaccine that is approved. Uh, is that right? And, and what is the track record uh, for this technology? You just mentioned your uh, phase three flu uh, vaccine results that were positive. You did have that major setback in RSV a few years ago. So what's the track record? So the track record is actually pretty good. We, we had... We had a setback with RSV uh, in that we missed a clinical trial uh, objective, but the vaccine was very had very potent uh, protective responses. And so, uh, with flu, as I mentioned, uh, we actually just finished a a flu a series of flu trials, phase one, two, and three, and we compared our vaccines against Sanofi's technology. And in all three trials, uh, we were able to show that our vaccine had an improved immune response over Sanofi. So that's been the goal of the flu program all along. And uh, But they do have a similar technology, Sanofi, and we are both using, we're making a what's called a recombinant protein. Uh, ours forms a nanoparticle, and we mix ours with an adjuvant, uh, which is a chemical that helps uh, stimulate a more potent immune response. That, that's that's the, what I wanted to, to drill down on, uh, Stanley, because do we know do, with certainty how, uh, as far as this specific disease goes, COVID-19, do we know how much of of an immune response would be from from antibodies and B cells and how important the cellular, the T cell response would be in in giving people immunity? And and if that's, if it's 50-50 or if it's very important, this adjuvant that you're adding, do you feel that your approach has an advantage to the purely uh, antibody um, methods that, that you're seeing from Moderna and others that, that don't really try. I don't think they try to stimulate T cells, do they? No, it's 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 a it's a really important and it's a great question. And the fact is, is that it's nobody knows for sure. Uh, it is it is hypothesized that a T cell response will augment what an antibody response is. Uh, we will we will find out in in clinical trials, and that's that's why you run the clinical trials. Stanley, I wanted to ask about the stock. We've seen an absolutely meteoric rise in shares of Novavax. You were an $8 stock in mid-March. Now with the pre-market gain, it could be 110 right at the open. 40% pop uh, right now is what we're showing. And that's almost a $2 billion addition to market capitalization. How should investors think about this optimism surrounding the vaccine? We all want a vaccine uh, to be found, to be brought to market commercially. Um, but in terms of what this could mean for your company financially, what would that vaccine be? Because investors are putting a, a lot of money behind your stock, thinking that it's going to pay off uh, financially in the future. Well, I like to think that we have a platform from which we make uh, multiple vaccines in the, in the coronavirus. What the coronavirus uh, does is it moves up the timetable for us to have revenue and and uh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, but but. I like to remind everybody that we just had a major 
phase three pivotal trial in flu. And, and I think everybody knows that there, there's an established flu vaccine market, but the flu vaccines don't work as well as we would like them to be. And, and our goal is to have a differentiated, better flu vaccine. And uh, we announced those data uh, at the beginning of April. And, uh, and I think that that's uh, an indication, not only that we have a, could have a very successful flu vaccine, but that same platform is used for the coronavirus vaccine. So I, I think there's a lot of, of uh, reason to be uh, optimistic that our, our vaccine platforms will work. Stanley, of course, the other major question about these vaccines is their safety. Uh, and you know, folks being nervous that they are being developed so quickly. Uh, what can you say about the safety of the vaccine that you've observed so far and guarantees that you can make that you will ensure safety before applying for approval? No, as you point out, safety is really critical in vaccines. And, you know, unlike a cancer therapy where you're treating people who are really sick and you can have side effects, in vaccines, you're giving vaccines to healthy people. And, and in this case, maybe hundreds of millions and billions of healthy people. So your vaccine has to be really safe. So we have uh, that, and that's, the, again, the purpose of clinical trials in, in broad populations is to measure that safety. That's, that's the number one uh, issue. And uh, the good news is, is that this is a platform, again, repeating that, that it, we're simply making a recombinant protein with an adjuvant that has been shown to be safe in, in a half dozen other vaccines that we've been developing. All right, Stanley Eric, thank you for being with us this morning. Sure. Next on Squawk Pod, TikTok rules, Palantir's launch, and one big NFL deal. The rest of today's stories that got us talking. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC. I said, is it? No, it's this way. I can't believe it. Emily, I'm Joe Kernan, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin, Melissa Lee. We, uh, Becky's off today. Have you seen the two, uh, either of, of your seven-month-old um, little uh, rugrats this morning? Have you seen them? Uh, it, it, I have not seen. I haven't seen them this morning. I've heard them. I hope you haven't heard them. <laughs> but they're want, definitely awake. We I can want, tell you that we much. Want to. <laughs> Meanwhile, TikTok says it will exit the Hong Kong market within days. The announcement coming as other technology companies, including Facebook, Google, Zoom, and LinkedIn, also Twitter, suspending processing government requests for user data in Hong Kong. TikTok is a short-form video app owned by China-based ByteDance. The company has previously said it doesn't store data in China. And 
that it wouldn't comply with any request by the Chinese government to censor content or access user data. But following China's new security law for Hong Kong, they're stopping operations of the app there. Another TikTok News Secretary of State Mike Pompeo telling Fox News yesterday the government is looking at the possibility of banning TikTok and other Chinese social media apps entirely. Now, Pompeo said Americans should only download the app if they want their personal information in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Guys, it's such a interesting story, given that TikTok is is technically a Chinese company making this uh, decision around Hong Kong. Meanwhile, on the other side, you're, you're seeing Secretary Pompeo saying, don't download, the, don't, download, don't download this app because all the stuff is going to China anyway. Right. Palantir Technology saying late yesterday it has filed confidentially for a public stock offering. This has been in the, in the offing, if you will, for quite some time. Uh, lots of speculation about when this might happen. Data analytics company founded back in 2004 has been among most uh, highly valued startups, reaching a $20 billion valuation literally five years ago. And we spoke to CEO Alex Karp about an IPO in January in Davos. We've told the company we are going to IPO and we are preparing internally IPO. I think we will, we will do very well in that context. The way we look at it at Palantir and have looked at it for the last 10 years is it's a bull market for monopolistic companies and a bear market for everyone else. And if you look at it that way, you don't finance growth with the, the sweet vapors of, of foreign venture funds. You focus on growth with high quality revenue. That's what we've done for the last 10 years. We've told people internally that IPO will happen and you'll see the results. So with the backdrop of a pandemic, uh, Palantir, which a lot of people had been expecting to have gone public much earlier, and Alex Karp had been waiting for his moment. Perhaps this is the moment. And of course, now a lot of focus uh, will be on that company publicly. Uh, of course, uh, its role uh, supporting uh, governments, uh, the U.S. government and other governments around the world. He also has a, a, a libertarian streak and a, uh, oftentimes makes uh, pretty provocative statements. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see yeah. uh, what happens. He hasn't changed a lot in, in 10 years. He hasn't changed a lot in 10 years when we spoke to him uh, in Davos back in uh, in january um anything changed it's been a while hasn't it andrew um i remember it like it was yet it does seem like a while ago do you remember that we were actually at functions shoulder to shoulder with like hundreds of people yep. in the same room i don't know what we were thinking uh, but uh, it, that was and that's where antibacterialized your hands i'm sure no there were no masks there were do we know no. about but Joe Not, knows. Joe knows. I always, I always like the you elbow did. bump. You've you know always that. been. You've I always was, been. I always, right. You've always been. What about Davos this year? Is it going to be like Harvard? Speaking of we're Harvard, gonna, we'll do it a little bit like this. It'll be a little virtual. It's going to be online only. It's going to be online only. It's going to cost the same. No, no, they're going. <laughs> no, no, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Actually, it is like Harvard. They'll do some in person, some online. I imagine just like Harvard, if they do it, there's going to be even testing perhaps there. And I know there's been speculation about that in the same way that at Harvard, they're going to literally test you, I think, every three days. Wow. Right. But so they're, we're, all, and they're also going to charge full tuition. Right. Right. The right, right. Online. You know, it's the degree. Yeah. And I think Davos will charge full tuition, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I already had one of them big checks that I just paid. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going to happen down there at Penn. And I already. So but we're good. Whatever does happen, barely. We'll see if it clears the check, but, uh, but, but I, we have no idea what, what it's going to look like. This guy, I like this story. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. 
Kansas City Chief Quarterback Patrick Mahomes has reportedly agreed to a 10-year contract extension worth more than $400 million. ESPN says Mahomes has a no-trade clause. Kansas City would have to guarantee his salary a year out. Uh, If it picks up those guarantees each year, the value of the contract could reach a half a billion dollars, making it the biggest contract uh, in sports history. The Super Bowl MVP is 24 years old and has endorsement deals with Oakley, State Farm, Adidas, and Procter & Gamble. And that was my last bit of glory when I I had money on on the Chiefs, on on DraftKings. I haven't, you know, we haven't been able to bet since. But I was thinking this guy's not that great until about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And then um, then we kind of watch what what guys like him do when when uh, when they need to do it. And I ended up winning pretty much money. I mean, not a lot, but for me, it's like one hundred dollars or something. So um, he's worth it, I think. Did you see were you watching uh, you too? I mean, you saw that the last the fourth quarter, right? He didn't look so great in the first two or three the, the first half. Didn't really look so great, and I had a lot of my friends were like laughing about my bet. But as it turned out, that's why you pay a guy like that. Winner. Well, but I have a completely separate question. You Joe. have a business question. And I, I, I don't know. know if there's no, no. But there is a betting line. If um, I, I don't know, maybe you can bet on in the United States. You can definitely bet on the UK. If the NBA season, you know, the NBA is supposed to get down to Florida this right. week, actually moves forward. Right. Are you betting? For or against right now? I, I looked at this as a more of a, you know, in investments, Andrew, you invest for the long term. This is a 10-year NFL deal. And my take on it was totally different. Right. It wasn't right here. Is the NBA going to play in Orlando? It was they're willing to pony up with the hope that 10 right. years forward we're still going to be having professional sports. Can we... We'll get through this. We'll get uh, with the NBA. I don't know. MLB, July. I'm trying to make some quick money here. I'm trying to make some fast money here. Uh, to actually bet some on fast whether money. they I need to make some fast money. Fast money. Exactly. 5 o'clock That's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for pinch hitting today. So, Melissa. Becky and I do the, the jumbo, and you know we do the jumbo when you come in. Guess what the third word is today in honor of you being here? Here it is, uh, here it is uh, jumbled. K-A-Q-U-W-S. K-A-Q-U-W-S. Squawk. Squawk! Is it really in the jumbo? Squawk! I swear. Tune in to Squawk Box weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.